And so it is, blessed we are to continue in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and the portion of Scripture we will be uh, uh, studying, if you will, in in sermon format, will be verses 22 through verse 36. And of course, in the context, we remain intact with this new birth that Christ was interacting with Nicodemus and how the theme of this new birth is indeed revealed in this chapter. And there has been a transition of the location in which Christ is found, hence verse 22, after these things, Jesus and his disciples uh, came into the land of uh, Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. So within this portion of scripture and the importance of this new birth and how it is taking place, or speaking of things, of course, to come, and the immediate context, that of the baptism of repentance, which came from John the Immerser, we certainly see three sections in this portion of scripture. We will see the Christ, we will see Uh, uh, the Baptist, John, and we will see the gospel through the author here in John, the writer. And so it begins with verse 22 again, after these things, after the things in which were taking place prior in another location within this uh, region with Nicodemus and the conversation that was taking place that we certainly studied and delivered in sermon format, from verses 1 through verse 21. And so here now we see things taking place regarding this baptism. And it's interesting to see how many times the word baptism and what the theme of baptism is being uh, spoken of and how important it truly is uh, to the day and age in which Christ was fulfilling his ministry and also for you and I today in a very practical sense in which we must apply and understand So here he is found, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, and his disciples. And they were into this land of Judea, and there they were spending time with them and baptizing. Baptizing, of course, the format, the pattern, the formula, the element, the way, the method, all of that together was indeed within water. And it was to be plunged, to be dipped. This, of course, is the revealed information you would find within the word Greek revealed uh, uh, baptizo, which of course is baptized, to be immersed, to be dipped, to be plunged, to be, to be buried, to be clothed, right? And so this is what was taking place. And we understand what the text is meaning by rightly handling it with other texts, such as chapter 4, verse 2, which would reveal, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So the idea, of course, is he is involved, though he might not be the the one in whom is putting down the individual into the water. He is certainly participating in this immersion. John also, in verse 23, was baptizing in Anon, near Salim, it says, because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison, so the text would reveal. Now Jesus, 
from his obedience to baptism, fulfilling all righteousness, Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 would say, which is interesting while I was studying this and reading this, how you find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first messianic prophecy of the coming king, the coming savior of the world. You see, we had departed from our fellowship with God in disobedience, Adam and Eve, the consequence, this fallen world, something needed to die. For a, for a period of time, that would be the blood of bulls and goats, if you will. But now the Messiah, the perfect coming king, is among the people. The sacrifice that will be once for all done. This powerful blood. I find it interesting how he obeys baptism, not because he was found with sin, but rather to fulfill all righteousness in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 revealed, of Genesis chapter 3.15, of what was to come. And for us today, for mankind, in this new birth, receiving the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. You see that connection? It's pretty cool. From Genesis 3.15 to Matthew 3.15 to Mark 16.16. 16. The way we, of course, 15 and 16, how we obey the gospel. Anyway, so Jesus, from his obedience to baptism until... John was thrown into prison, was corresponding and in alignment with the baptism of repentance. Okay, there was that period of time in which Christ walked this earth along with John in which this baptism was effective. It was uh, 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 being produced and obeyed. Meaning, in simple terms, of course, until Christ had died and been risen, the baptism of repentance was operative. And Jesus would honor that spiritual, not ceremonial, that spiritual purification. Okay? It was indeed for the forgiveness of sins. Now, once Christ would complete the prophets, the Christian baptism of the Great Commission to which we read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, would be in operation. In other words, being immersed into Christ, calling on his name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, added to his kingdom, his body, his church, as we read per Acts chapter 2, verse 38, verse 47, and chapter 22, verse 16. So this, of course, is what is taking place with the importance of this birth. And we be wise for you and I today to study that and to understand that and to certainly obey the applicable baptism, this new birth, being born again, to which you and I are governed to obey in this messianic age, the age after the Christ had fulfilled the cross. So in verse 25 and 26, as we move forward in the text, it says that, there arose a discussion because of what was taking place in verse 22, 23, and 24. Therefore, because of these verses and the information that was taking place, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. Interestingly enough. And they came to John... And said, so here is this discussion with disciples 
that follow John. And they come to John and they have something to say to John and they say, teacher, rabbi, he who was with you, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus, who was with you, John, beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified. So these disciples certainly recognize that John, to whom they are following, to whom's baptism they obeyed, was speaking of this man, Jesus, who was testified by the herald, the proclamation of John the Immerser. Behold, he is baptizing, they say to John, and all are coming to him. All are coming to him. Now, John's disciples were concerned that Jesus was gaining fame apart from John's efforts in ministry. Well, what's happening here? There shouldn't be this. Why, why, why is this happening? They quickly forgot, if you will, or perhaps unwilling to accept that John's purpose was that Jesus' purpose should increase while John's decrease. In other words, Christ has a higher rank, as John would say in chapter 1, verse 30. And so John's humility remains active in this moment. Therefore, when this discussion came up and they spoke to John regarding this concern they had, like, why is this taking place? John answers them in verse 27. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. That's quite the thing to say. You yourselves are my witnesses, he says in verse 28, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. So this is the answer in which John gives his disciples, who I have a concern about Jesus and his disciples, and they're baptizing. They were, of course, accustomed to this point only seeing John, and John being the one immersing. But now this man named Jesus is disciples following him producing or activating this same baptism what's taking place and john of course gives them the answer he gives them the answer though not deity john his purpose came from a divine source in chapter 1 verse 6 john was sent from god but he was not god he came to herald, to proclaim, to prepare the path for the one who had supremacy, for the one who had the higher rank, for the Messiah, the Christ, the King to be, the Savior of the world, Jesus the Nazarene from Galilee. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. And all of this information, again, to the theme and context of the chapter regarding the new birth. No wonder Jesus asked them, the baptism of John, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven? Did it come from men? 
And they didn't want to answer that, right? They knew they, ah, they were not honest in their hearts to answer the question. John understood quite well. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. This new birth is from heaven. He who has the bride, verse 29. Pay attention to this. This is pretty awesome. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. Has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, we began this portion of scripture from verse 22 to verse 26 regarding the Christ. And now from verse 27 to 30, we see John the Baptist. In Jewish culture, the best man played a most important role. It's quite different than we have now in our Western world and culture and the way we do things. In the mind of Judaism and the culture and era of the people, the best man, he would be the one to prepare certain ceremonial offices and be the one to hand over the bride. He'd be the one handing over the bride to the bridegroom. And in this illustration, John is speaking to his disciples of how joyful he is to pass on the ministry of the kingdom to come to the Christ that would be crowned. And that's something. From Israel being the bridegroom to the father to the coming church belonging to Christ being the bridegroom to the son. Isn't that something? That's something. And it is all in connection to the context and theme of this new birth and how important and necessary it is. Fascinating. Truly is. So in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. John's humble heart continues. His concern is for the well-being of the Christ. He could have easily taken pride, had the competition frame of mind, you know, the crabs in the bucket worldview, but no, instead, he remained poor in spirit and was most joyful to know Jesus would now increase. This was not about a competition for John. This was about a humble fulfillment of why he was sent and for whom. John's disciples, however, had concern, perhaps from good motive or perhaps from not so good motive. Hey, he's, he's baptizing. He's got his disciples. What's going on here? And you know how at times when we allow our emotions capture our concerns a bit too much so and all of them are going to him well all of them were not going to jesus some were with john some were going to jesus but it was for the same purpose they were in cooperation with this baptism that was for the forgiveness of sins 
And John certainly teaches us the heart of a humble, faithful believer. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and how we can be made right with Jesus through this new birth. It's beautiful information. And so now, the portion of Scripture transitions into the Gospel in which the author, John, the writer of the Gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes information in regards to this continued context and theme. So in this section of Scripture, we have the thoughts of John, the Gospel writer, in regards to John the Baptist, Jesus the Christ, and those who believe. In verse 31, it says, and I quote, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Interesting language. Yet indeed, though, to the pen in which John writes. You see, Christ is from above. He is deity. John came from the earth, limited to his flesh. The one who is divine, born of the Spirit, has greater office than the one who is of the earth, born of flesh and blood. Hence, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 in which is revealed that none greater was born of flesh and blood than John, yet the least in the kingdom is greater than he. Isn't that something? Stick with it. Meditate on that. So in verse 32, it says, What, had, what he has seen and heard, of that he testifies... And no one receives his testimony. And in verse 33, it says, He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. So now we go back to verse 32, and we find a rightly handled verse to the text in chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, The light shines, it operates in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it, overpower it. And in verse 33, we see in rightly handled texts, verse 12 and 13 of chapter 1, which say, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So again, we read verse 32 and 33 in chapter 3. Who, uh, what he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. Always in the theme and context of this new birth and from, whence it, from where it comes from. To know the Son is to know the Father. What the Father has willed the Son had spoken. And this dying world rejected him and tried to overpower him to no avail. 
but to some who have received and believed, to them was given the right to become Christians, saved, added citizens to his kingdom, his body, his church. For us in practical application, members here of the East Coast Church of Christ in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, to which we have given our commitment, to which we are in this covenant together, submissive to one another and our elders. Where does this come from? Did we just invent it from our own mind? Does this come from men or does this come from heaven? Who will reject? Who will receive? Who will obey? Who will not? Interesting, isn't it? In verse 34, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Interesting language again. For the Son whom the Father, let's read it this way. For the Son whom the Father has sent speaks the words of the Father. For the Father gives he, who? The Holy Spirit without measure. In other words, the Son receives the full power of him, who? The Spirit, while he walked on this earth. And what is noteworthy, this is why the Christ had to go, so as to have the Comforter, the Helper, in other words, the Holy Spirit, pour out His power upon the chosen vessels. In other words, the Apostles, which was promised in this same Gospel, chapter 14, which was realized and came to be in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Interesting, isn't it? So in verse 35, the text says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. And the reason is because the Father loves the Son and has given the Son all authority. There would be no other. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name, no other authority but the Christ. And powerful in ending this chapter if you will, is verse 36. And we quote, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. To reject the new birth, for them in the, in the immediate context, the baptism of John, to reject that was to practice an act of disbelief that would result in eternal punishment. Even, even to the most respected and highly influential Jewish leaders such as Nicodemus. Who indeed understood themselves to be the bride to the bridegroom, the father in heaven. The Abrahamic lineage. Now for us this hour, living after the death, burial, and resurrection, witness and ascension of the Christ, our Lord, Jesus, the same applies for the Christian baptism, which is not the same as the baptism John administered. Our baptism, to which we are commanded through the Great Commission, living after the fulfillment of the cross, trusting in Jesus, 
having faith in Christ, calling on his name, in other words, his authority. Again, what is this new birth? Does it come from men or does it come from heaven? It comes from heaven. It is divine. It is not a new birth that comes from flesh and blood, from the will of men, from the natural realm of procreation between a male and female. This new birth comes from the authority and power of Jesus Christ for you and I today. And so for us, living after the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of our Lord, the same applies for the Christian baptism calling on his name, for the, for the immersion into his spiritual location. It is not ceremonial in the actions of ordinances or the old law, but it is obedience. And this, of course, is for the forgiveness of our sins, for legally becoming citizens of his kingdom added to his church. To be plunged, to be dipped, to be submerged, baptizo, clothed, buried into Christ, his church, Paul would speak so plainly to his brethren in Corinth. It's no wonder that Paul, in his epistles, in his literature, would always remind the brethren at what very moment they became Christians. Christian, the family name, given to when you are born into the family. Which family? The family of God. That's why Paul would always have his brethren remember the, new, the birth they took place, the baptism they obeyed. In Mark 16, 16, faith without an act of obedience is void of love towards Christ and will result in damnation. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe shall be damned. And in context, that was given to the apostles who were miraculously endowed. But the principle of the information applies for you and I today in this commission that has been administered. Faith without an act of obedience is void of love towards Christ and will result in damnation. One cannot meritoriously earn his or her salvation, nor do we have anything to boast about. Contrary to the many false teachings we find out there in the world, masquerading itself as Christianity. We believe in Christ and our faith is active to submit to his will in the plan of salvation he wrote. You see, Israel was the bridegroom to the Father, the church of Christ, to which Paul spoke of to the Christians in Rome, chapter 16, verse 16. The same in which Christ spoke to build, I will build my church. The church of Christ is the bridegroom to the Son. We cannot be wed to Christ without our obedience to His covenant. And this is done through the new birth. There's no way around it. It does not matter how many scenarios, how many extreme scenarios the world comes up with as an excuse to disobey and remain rebellious against God. 
God would have never commanded a new birth upon a people where a new birth was not possible. That would make him out to be a tyrant, an oppressor. He has given us this new birth to obey in order to become Christians and add it to his church. Very unique spiritual house, not built by the hands of men. Again, where does this information come from? Heaven or earth? On earth, we think in earthly ways. And we are limited to the capacity of our intellect in these fleshly containers. We didn't come up with this. Paul spoke the same language to his brethren. This gospel is not from men. I didn't write it. It comes from God. And so what better verse than 36 to conclude the chapter, the theme, the context, and the necessity of this birth than he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Why? Because he or she will be immersed into Christ, baptized into Christ. Will participate in this new birth, not because the water saves you, not because the individual who is putting you down into the water can save you, but because calling on his name, the authority and power of his resurrection will save your soul. That's why. That's why he who does not obey the Son will not see life. And that's scary. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. We need to understand this information. And if we get dull to it, go back to it. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Similar language from Paul speaking to his brethren in Thessalonica. The ones who do not know God nor obey his gospel, the gospel of the Christ, to these will be punished eternally. But let us be governed by the love, the family, the unity, the forgiveness, the peace, the grace of Jesus Christ, so that we would want to be with him, not only for fear of hell, but because we'd much rather be with the one who is known and described as love. That makes sense? Is that good? You understand, we understand that. So for all who believe in Jesus Christ, if you truly believe, then your belief will certainly have an outward action of faith, trust in the message that comes from heaven. And you will indeed seek to be baptized, to participate in this new birth. And no wonder the Ethiopian eunuch, in regards to the words the evangelist Philip said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? That's from Acts chapter 8. Okay, enough of that for this hour. If anyone needs to respond in any way, you are certainly welcome to do so. Let us now close and continue with our song. 500.